In this episode of the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast, I interview JJ, a professionally qualified archaeologist and theologian, about how archaeology works both in the field and in academia, how biases have affected the field historically, and what evidence there is for the episodes we encounter in the Bible. This is the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Hello, this is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. When I hit a thousand followers for the podcast, I'm going to do an entire episode in German. And you can help me get there by subscribing and sharing the podcast on all your social media and with all your friends. Welcome to the Tall Friendly Atheist Ad Podcast. I hope you're doing all right. Because I have on the line with me uh, JJ, who is uh, known on Twitter as... Uh, by uh, his handle is Bible Mythology, but he goes by the name of Archaeologian. JJ, how are you? Very well, thank you. It's nice to to meet you at long last. Uh, after Likewise, off meeting you first of all, August, and it's nice to be here. <laughs> no, look, thank you, thank you for thank you for making uh, ma- making the time, um, and thank you for yeah talking talking to me so early in the morning because uh, it's about nine o'clock where you are. At the moment? Just after ten. Just after ah, okay. 10, yeah. So it's not too early. So you, you've, you've you've had your cup of tea. I've had my cup of my cornflakes <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no. changed out my jams. So already. Nice. So anyway, JJ, um, could you tell me more uh, about your profession? Uh, how you came to be where you are? What your special skills are? Um, that yeah, kind of sure. stuff. Uh-huh. Well. It's probably best to start with the academic qualifications. You know. Uh, I first went to uni way, way back and I studied for a joint honours degree in divinity and history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intention then was to become either Church of Scotland minister oh, okay. or a high school teacher, a high school teacher of uh, of history. I was also told that having the divinity part of the honours would make me eligible to teach religious studies or religious education as it was at that time. Okay. Uh, so uh, I was able to complete that and I've, I've earned my honours degree uh, uh, and I've, I don't know if you see my tweets but it was during studying for that that I uh, lost my faith in uh, Christianity I walked away from that but that's another long long story <laughs> yeah so uh, after I left university then that was a four-year course it's four years in Scotland for an honours okay uh, yep one year teacher training course uh, uh, so I did a couple of years uh, of history teaching. I was lucky enough to get that. That was a temporary contract, two temporary contracts, in fact. And yep. during that time, that's when I did my Master of Theology. You know, uh, one of the units in my divinity 
degree was on the origins of Israel, you know, where, where did Israel actually come from? Oh, yeah. is there, you know, is there evidence in Egypt and, you know, is there evidence of the conquest and that? And mm-hmm. that, it's couched in the terms of a redemptive plan, you know, Exodus, wanderings, conquest is all part of God's plan. This, uh, this is how it was worked into divinity. But as well studying that, I was thinking, the actual evidence for this is pretty poor. <laughs> but the, the divinity department were obviously kind of pushing it up to make it look, look better. But I did a lot of studying on myself and it looked very uh, unlikely to me is probably the best word, very unlikely. So anyway, yeah. I managed to achieve that. I, I did my master's uh, in that. And uh, I then moved to England. Uh, I moved in with a, a girl I'd met at university. And uh, where we lived in England, we were close to university that had an archaeology department. So I thought, well, if I'm going to criticise this, you know, and I'm thinking it's unlikely, but that's based on completely amateur point of view, just amateur archaeology, if you like. I said, well, I was able to do the, the course part-time, so it took a couple of years, and I, could, I worked as a substitute uh, teacher or supply teacher uh, at the same time. So I earned an archaeology degree. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. you know, the core units were heavily towards uh, Roman archaeology, you know, because of where the, the university was situated, it made sense for there. But obviously all the, the methods and approaches were, were more or less the same as the Palestinian archaeology. So. Okay, yep, yep. So I had, I had a far, far better idea of what the biblical archaeologists were actually saying. And by that time, the new archaeologists had appeared and began heavily criticising the biblical archaeologists. So I had a, a far better understanding to, to come to my own conclusions. Very, uh, so very things, good. Uh, very good. Yep. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, so I'm just about done. <laughs> so the units were heavily towards Roman archaeology and Roman history. Uh, but the tw- there was a 20,000 word dissertation and we could do that on more or less any topic we wanted to, as long as you incorporated the methods and approaches, it could be a Roman thing, it could be virtually anything, as long as you demonstrated that you understood how archaeology actually worked. Yep. So I thought, well, it makes sense. I've studied the origins before. Uh, so I had a chat with an advisor. He said, there's one small problem. You can't use the same essay or dissertation mm. or word for words that you've already used. So cut a long story short, uh, I was able to just home in on the military conquest of Canaan, whereas my previous one was a general superficial view of oh, okay, yep. uh, no, Exodus con- uh, wandering conquest. So, so anyway, uh, I was able to, to pass that, so that gave me another, uh, another viewpoint of it. Once I qualified there, uh, mm-hmm. for various reasons, I moved back up to Scotland and I was able to get a part-time archaeology job and a part-time high school job. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was very fortunate with that. Good, but that's good. This is the thing I advise anyone listening. If, if you're young enough or you know, if you're going to university, network as much as you can because you never know who's going to come back into your life or you never know who's going to just who's going to be asked a question to you. You know someone can do this, and they just happen to think of you. So 
it's good to have a network when you're at university, get to know people, uh, join clubs, things like that, get yourself about, get well going. So I was fortunate enough through networking to to be able to do archaeology part-time and high school part-time. That sounds good. That sounds uh, that sounds like an adventure, which actually well, leads which actually well, leads into uh, one of the things I wanted to I wanted to get from you is how is archaeology done? What is archaeology? What is the aim of archaeology? Right, as far as we are concerned, for the biblical archaeology, I mean, archaeology is that's developed or evolved to use the proper word into <laughs> yep. a huge, huge. Discipline. I mean, there's marine archaeology, yep. there's post-processional archaeology, there's interpretive. The interpretive archaeology is more or less what we would be using for biblical archaeology. Uh, archaeology, for what we want, is the recovery of artefacts, whatever's been shaped by a human hand, more or less. Mm-hmm. There's also environmental archaeology that's... that's sort of laterally came into the picture. But for the early days, it was uh, the recovery of artefacts. So something's been made by a human hand, it could be an inscription, pottery, you know, anything like that. That's, that's what's recovered. But uh, I would say one thing, is archaeology isn't this magical uh, discipline that many people think it is. It, it doesn't, for example prove beyond all doubt that XYZ happened. It's a lot like science that way. You, you, you build your case, you come up with your hypothesis, ask a question, you know, yep. like the, the conquest, what would we expect to find if the conquest happened as described in the Bible? So you have your hypothesis, we'd expect to find destruction levels at site A, B, C, D. Yep. Uh, what's the time frame for it? You know, and then you would then take your evidence, build up a case. Uh, Lewis Binford describes it as inference justification. Okay, so, yep, yep. That's all. Whatever you're inferring, you need to justify it. And archaeology has been described as a science of history. I think that's the best way to describe it. You, know, you collect your evidence and you build a model. You know, before for the biblical archaeologist, he just he didn't do anything, just said that, oh, that's obviously a... a the, the six-chamber gate at Megiddo, that's obviously, uh, they, they didn't go out to prove it was, like but then nobody was doing archaeology any different ways. Uh, that didn't happen until probably the, the 70s. But archaeology is the recovery of artefacts, and these artefacts, they don't interpret themselves. It's down to the archaeologist and his or her particular opinion on that. So you can have one artefact and have a huge range of opinions on it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the movies where someone digs up a button. You know, here's a button from this period. That proves the king had scrambled eggs for breakfast. You know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah. So it's not a magical discipline. It's just another tool that the historian can use, although it's a very effective tool. You know, What is really good at is more or less disproving things, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't disprove them beyond... All doubt, you know, you've got to allow for future finds, for example. You know, you don't know what's going to be found. It's a bit like history, like science with evolution, you know, evolution is currently the best explanation that we have, but it can be falsified. You know, so yep. it's a, 
And it's the same with archaeology. If you're making a model to explain an archaeological find, then you need to support why it's worth considering. You know, and you'll always find somebody that disagrees with you. You always, I don't think there's anything that is universally accepted as being, uh, well, it's universally accepted from archaeology. Certainly no. not with the Bible because so many people's personal beliefs are intertwined with that. So it's best to say archaeology recovery of, of artefacts and there's no final definitive account. It's a continuing process. So your opinion on something might change. Indeed, indeed. So if I can play devil's advocate here for a second, um, when yeah. when you find something that does uh, disprove a, a Bible claim, um, yeah. how, how would you then counter the claim that, hold on, um, that you guys don't really know what you're talking about? You guys are putting, uh, you are all putting your biases your biases and your preconceptions into the interpretation. Therefore, and because you're a fallible human and because you're likely to change your mind afterwards, why should I accept what you why should I accept what you say? Yes, well you, you always get this. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how strong a case you build, you're always going to get someone that disagrees and they're always going to come up with some some excuse of some kind. Okay. Now, for example, I mean, the, the discussion I'm involved in just now about the, the population growth. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. 70 people becoming 3 million. What, what, what was the, uh, yeah, what was the, what was the rate they give? Like, I think like double every 150 years or something? Yeah, it's just about every 150 years at that time, which uh, I think Eric, Eric Hoven challenged uh, Bill Nye one day. Yeah, yes, yeah. that was... And he just pulled, <laughs> just pulled a number out of the air and said, there should be the count backwards, but that's that's not how it works, Eric. Like, no. I'm not sure there, if Eric knows that or not. There, there, there's been no wars, no famines, no diseases, no <laughs> no uh, nothing. It's just like... Uh, uh, and, yeah, what Eric doesn't do is be consistent. You know, if he said it's... If you apply Eric's percentage, I think it's 4.7, something like that. Mm. If you apply mm. that to, the, to Noah and his family after the ark... Uh, lands and they all disembark. There's a hundred years between the end of the flood and the Tower of uh, Babel incident, mm -hmm. which would give, using Eric's percentage, about 12 people in the whole world. Uh, to yes, to, to build a whole tower to heaven. So it isn't consistent. So anyway, some of the uh, the reasons given for not accepting is, one is, as you say, you're, you're a fallible human. Mm -hmm. Another one which is used a lot, is to reinterpret the actual Bible itself. You know, it's to reinterpret the text, to make it fit <laughs> the Not evidence, yet. and then somehow claim oh, the Bible is still infallible. <laughs> uh, Nelson Kluke was good at this. Say, uh, I don't know if you remember Nelson Kluke's quote. That's uh, yes, like, actually, I, wa I wanted to actually uh, touch on that at some time, but um, because uh -huh. uh, like I, I get uh, told by excitable theists that you know yeah. Nelson Nelson Gluick, a uh, time person of the year in nineteen nineteen whatever, um, uh, and he's uh, on record as saying that there's never been one discovery that's contradicted a Bible fact. Yeah, well, that's because he's reinterpreted reinterpreted the Bible to fit the evidence. Okay. Uh, if you look at his second edition of the of the book, he says that, and I think it's uh, 
what say these stones or something like that. I can't remember. Or it escapes me at the moment. Mm-hmm. But in the second edition, he actually corrects that in the foreword. And he also, he led some excavations uh, on the Negev about the Moabites and the Ammonites. And he said, you know, if the Exodus was at the time the Bible claims, they wouldn't be meeting any Edomites on the way to Canaan because there was none there. So that claim is easily refuted, but it's held on to, you know. Yeah. So so they reinterpret the Bible to fit the evidence. Another one is uh, you are not excavating in the correct place. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, That's yep. a very common one. Uh, Joseph Calloway, uh, he excavated for, I think, six or seven seasons at I, and... Uh, he found nothing uh, before the 12th century. Yeah, from the 19th to the 12th, there's nothing there. So uh, the people who, uh, the Israelites who conquered Jericho and then went on to I, yeah. uh, I mean, that's quite a blatant contradiction in the, in the record. But people like Albright, uh, uh, I think yours right as well, they countered by saying, when they say I, they really mean Bethel. You know, Bethel is quite close uh, by. That yeah, was, yeah. That's got a destruction level there. But Callaway and I'm not sure another guy, they had an exchange in Basor where Callaway basically said, well, show me where I is. If I'm not at I, show me where it is, that kind of thing. But there's a lot of uh, comments about that, like who would build a, a nice city and call it I, which means the ruin. Uh, the yes, I've, yes, I remember that one, yes. <laughs> So it looks like an etiology, and you know, it looks like a story that's made up to explain an existing landmark. So, well, or so what, 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 what we call an etiological myth. Ah, that's it. Yeah, uh, I think you get these in science as well. But, uh, mm-hmm. sure of it. Because so we have reinterpreting the, the text to fit the evidence, which was done a daily occurrence. And then yep. you're digging in the wrong place. That's, that's another <laughs> yeah. very common one. Because the other one I hear is um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, every every uh-huh. few years, and I remember when I was a, uh, a fundamentalist, charismatic Christian, um, yeah. you know, you'd read like uh, like a popular Christian magazine or you know a widespread Christian blog or something, and it's like science, uh, historians have found the, the site for Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, and and, they, and and it's basically like you know a couple of like big stone heaps, and then yeah. like, there's like this so uns- or un- <laughs> <laughs> and like this unsourced quote that says you know oh uh, scientists found uh, remains of volcanic ash or, or something you know to really hype up the story. Ah, I mean, a lot of that is down to this guy, Ron Wyatt, isn't it? You know, the Wyatt Museum guy, uh, he found every artefact that's mentioned in the Bible and actually failed to produce any of it. I mean, he's he's a friend, or he was a friend, he's dead now. Yeah. He was a friend of Kent Hovind, believe it or not. Oh, uh, like, yeah. But he's found everything. He found the uh, Ark of the Covenant, but it just, just as it was a way to, to, to grab it, the wall fell in and all the pictures were stolen by a... Uh, a thief and oh, it's, oh it's no. he, he's a guy that supposedly found the Red Sea crossing at Aqaba. Oh, yeah, that, that's yeah. his big thing. It's, it's nonsense. It's actual nonsense. I mean, he wasn't an archaeologist. He wasn't trained. He wasn't even a historian. He was a. I think he was a 
X-ray department nurse or something like that. Oh, okay. Because the other accusation that can also be made is that, well, you know, you you need to make findings to uh, or discoveries to uh, secure your funding. And therefore, yes. if you yes. can't find something, you will make up something. And because yeah. you have a, a preconception against God, whatever you make up will automatically be against the Bible record. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, the, the early Bible archaeologists. They were all, more or less, all were conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. And that was where the money was. You know, all, all, uh, all the early excavations were funded by churches or Christian organisations. I mean, William Albright, he's, he's the giant of biblical archaeology, if you like. You know, he just, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him. I have some disrespect here because he was clearly a racist and a bigot, but mm. that doesn't matter. Uh, but he, he, if he was on a, an excavation, you could be guaranteed the money would flow in. But he had the reputation, you see. He's a, a well-respected scholar at the time, probably the most respected scholar in the world at that time. And and, and, and we, we, are, we are talking about William Albright, yeah? Yeah, William Foxwell Albright, yes. That's right, yes. Al- yeah. Albright is, you know, he's called the father of biblical archaeology by some. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if he was on a dig, you would be, the money would flow in. And that means you could pay all the, the helpers, you know, you could pay the locals to, to, to help you and yeah. that give you a big advantage. Plus, Albright was interpreting the finds through the lens of the Bible. So the benefactors were. You know, as you were saying, they were very pleased, keep the money rolling in. And uh, that's basically repeated for, you know, went on for about 50 years, you know. Okay. Interesting. So, so when you go out on a dig, what are you actually doing out on a dig? So I take it you've been on many field digs yourself, yeah? I've been on about a, a, a dozen. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you something about Scotland and, the, the, and quite a part, large part of England. Yep. It's in Scotland. And there is so there has been so many Roman forts and Roman walls and Roman remains dug up, so mm. many that if a new one was discovered, it would be touch and go whether they would excavate it or not, because okay. it's very very unlikely we can find anything that will add to what we already know. Really? So, okay. uh, so overall, I was all about a, a dozen, uh, but you're more or less digging carefully. Uh, sometimes you don't have to dig carefully because you have electronic devices that can show you exactly where a wall is, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, once you're into uh, a settlement, say a, a house or uh, a sentry post or something like that, yep. you then have to start digging uh, very carefully. Use your trowel and whatever. Then some people use toothbrushes, and uh, I've actually seen people use a. Uh, hypodermic syringe without the needle on it to gently move soil aside, you know, if there's anything very fragile. Wow. That's... But it's a big responsibility on archaeologists because when you're when you are recovering something, you're basically destroying that site. You can't recover it again. You can only recover no. it one time. So you have to be dedicated and you log everything. You, uh, it's slightly easier nowadays to when I did it. We used to draw things and take lots of pictures and Write up survey reports and uh, catalogue things, you know, and you had a grid and you had to see where it was found, the level it was found at, these sort of things. But you're looking for anything that's sort of made that looks like it's made by hand. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Romans was basically coins, uh, pottery, uh, yep. 
weapons. There's a lot of weapons, arrowheads, things like that. There's so much. Scotland has so much of these things that I doubt we would dig any more up. And you also have to believe uh, sites for future generations to have, you know, if they want you to, to dig it up. You can't just, you know, bring in and dig up everything and nobody, oh, nothing's yeah. left for anybody else. So, 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 so you aren't going in there with bulldozers and pickaxes and, you know. No. Dr- no, drinking round, yeah. drink, drinking round, sipping shandies, and then someone in a in a in a smoking jacket, you know, types up a, a five five thousand word report going, <laughs> you know, this uh, is it, guys. We found evidence for you know uh, something. Nobody would know any better if you did that, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, but funny you should say, like uh, talk about dozers and like like axes and things like that. Yeah, uh, sorry, pre-archaeology time, a little. Uh, they were insane. They were just marching into places and, well, that looks like something that could be from the Bible. Just go get it. And they were just destroying sites to get a, a, a vase or, you know, an inscription or something like that. Goodness knows what they were destroying on the way in. But there was a big market for it, you know, and there was a lot of money to be made in uh, religious artefacts. And, uh, and that was another thing about Ron Wyatt and this covenant and... Akaba, what damage was he actually doing to these sites when he was bringing through there, not knowing what he's doing? You know, so he could have been destroying more than he's actually recovering. So, I suppose. I suppose this, well, I was going to ask when did the when did the uh, I suppose the science of archaeology really uh, become a thing? Like when did when did we realize? Hold on, there's a world before the world we live in, um, yeah. and and if we treat these things with the care, we can actually find yeah. out stuff. When, when, when do you yes, think that? that would, Sorry. Well, I would say definitely, it's probably the late 60s, early 70s. So so, uh, fairly, so fairly recent then? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of, there, was, there was voices before then, you know, concerned about how archaeology was being uh, carried out, you know, especially about interpreting the, the evidence. There were voices like Albrecht Dahl, for example, he's... He's saying uh, that, that there's no strong evidence. Stephen, this is 1925. No strong evidence for a military con- conquest. It looks more like an internal revolt, you know, a, a mm-hmm. situation. There was other models. There was a peasant revolt. There was a symbiosis, a peaceful infiltration. These kind of things, which fitted the evidence much more than uh, the, the conquest model, which was Albrecht's conquest model. But that's where the funding is pouring into that all the time. So there was there were, were voices raising concerns. But it was I'd say the 60s, 70s, where it's actually called the new archaeology. You know, it's going through different processes. It involved anthropology mm-hmm. as well. And it also instead of focusing on just one site, it was more survey-based. So you looked at the whole area and a range of sites and try to, to blend them in. Uh, it was based on societies had subsystems as well, you know, trading, mm-hmm. technology, these kind of things, and the, the agriculture. Uh, so that all had to be explained, but the biblical, biblical archaeology wasn't doing this. And new archaeology is also, also called processual archaeology. You go through processes, you know, and you realise that there are processes that affect systems. So it tried to be an objective discipline, but it, it, it was too fixated on how these processes worked. 
you know, and uh, got cumbersome. And one of the things, where do you actually stop testing a model? You know, when does a model, when does a model become sufficient? But it was really the 1670s that they were saying, hold on a second here. There's more to this than just digging up a piece of pottery. You know, behind that, how did the pottery get there? You know, what was it used for? Uh, how was it made? What's it made of? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So that was the 60s and 70s. That's kind of been left behind as well, right? Enough. <laughs> it's, it, it was criticised because it was too rigorous. You know, it was too deep. Okay. Uh, and that, that, that moved on to what we would call interpretive archaeology, which is a kind of current model, you know, and there are some hangovers of a new archaeology in there as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's quite recently, yeah. But it is it is a field uh, that I suppose like every like every science and every every field of, of academia, it goes through changes, it goes through shifts, it goes yeah. through, you know, just like it slowly morphs from one thing to another. Um, when we find a better way of doing things, you implement that better way. Um, yes, and, if, and, and if there's something from the old way that that works, okay, you put that in, you, you basically syncretize old and new to make a new to make a new way of doing things. But I suppose the thing I wanted to get at was like you're not doing it to kick God out of the textbooks. No, no, no. Uh, there's no archaeologists say that. All the archaeologists uh, should be after one thing, which is the truth. You know, and this is what. People like uh, Mendenhall and uh, you know, got all these people were saying, you know, we want to find out the truth. We want to find what is the actual uh, reasons this occurred. Mm-hmm. If the Bible was correct, then it would be shown to be correct. You know, as I say, you've got to justify your inferences. But archaeologists weren't going out there, like the non-Christian ones, uh, weren't going out there to kick God out of the the process. I mean, look at people like Calloway. Calloway was a evangelical Christian, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and he, he he said, "Well, I just wasn't there." You know, it just it's, it's just, you have to be honest. The evidence just isn't there. It didn't uh, change his faith in any way, but I mean, <laughs> he was honest enough. I mean, even Albright, given his view, he was honest enough to hold his hands up and say, "Well, the Bible is just not quite." He would never come out and say the Bible's wrong. You know, he would say we have to. The Bible, it really means this. Like Albright suggested two exoduses because that's what the evidence to him looked like. He always tried to, to harmonise the evidence with the Bible. And if that meant reinterpreting the text, then fine. So I had I... Christian, evangelical Christians uh, who would say the Bible doesn't square with archaeology as well. So it's not just uh, non-Christians that are saying this. That would be the answer to that. No, because I um, I know one or two people associated with uh, Creation Ministries International uh, who are a sister organization to Answers in Genesis. And one of the statements of faith uh, for Creation Ministries International is that no, no discovery or no, no field of knowledge is uh, or no piece of information is valid uh, be it from science, be it from archaeology, be it from history, if it contradicts the biblical record. And I'm just thinking, well, hold on, you know, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse here. You know, yeah, you, 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 you can't say that you're being honest and that you're open to changing your mind if you've already, yeah, uh, you know, if you've already said that like, I'm not going to accept anything that tells me I'm wrong. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the completely wrong way 
of, of, of doing archaeology or any, anything really, you know, just, just apply to archaeology. Oh, indeed, indeed, but but but, that, but they will accuse us of having a, a an anti god bias while completely yeah. overlooking their pro god bias. Ah, that that, that I mean that that is how, how they operate. I Ken Ham and his friends operate as well, and. Uh, I think it's this cognitive dissonance that they all seem to, to display, you know, that, that can they genuinely see that they're not, that, that, that they're doing this, that they're ignoring their own bias, but acknowledging ours. Mm. Or, or, or ours try, 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 trying to point out ours and, and hold ours against us. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. I mean, the evidence should be there. I mean, it doesn't matter what you claim. If You should be able to back it up with evidence and you should be able to justify what your claim is. Oh, indeed, no, indeed. But this is, uh, no. I think this is I where, po- uh-huh. well, I say this is where politics and religion comes in, or I should say yeah. the, the the politics of religion, where you know you, you're not there to you're you're basically there to make people feel rather than make people think. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the thinking is quite a, a strange thing for some of them, and you know, it's a, it's a misrepresentation as well of the information. You know, and the misunderstanding of archaeology, you know, they find one inscription and they think, wow, everything in the Bible is true then, you know, and you think, no, every single find has to has to be evaluated on its own. You know, if you do happen to like the, the, the House of David inscription at Tel Dan, but they think, oh, I found that, that means David killed Goliath. And yeah. was no, it doesn't work like that. It's only one piece of evidence that... That can be interpreted in many different ways, and was interpreted in many different ways. But if you're going out there with nothing I find can possibly contradict the Bible, then you shouldn't be there, in my opinion. You know, you're not doing your job properly. Well, from their angle, they are, I suppose. But how are you going to find the truth? You know, if you're not looking at a broad spectrum of possibilities. Well, I suppose if if you're honest, you will go there with with the truth, and you will make a a reasonable reasonable assessment. With the evidence at hand, with your knowledge and skills, and yeah, and you and, and you'll submit your findings to peer review, and you'll you'll accept honest and and, and earnest feedback, is is the way I look at it. Well, yeah, well, these these archaeologists are the same as the creation scientists. They're not getting published in peer reviewed journals. Uh, the, I mean, the Brian Wood started his own journal, Bible and Spade. You know, that's for the people who can't get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mainstream journals, Bastor or Assor or something like that, uh, they're uh, they're not being they're not supporting their their claims, so they're not passing peer review. And uh, uh, it's a shame in a way because it's it's hampering everyone. You know, if the objective is to find the truth of a situation, then we should all be working together. But as you see, religion and politics. And thing goes up in the air, and for um, many, many especially, decades, especially with the uh, with the uh, um, uh, conservative Protestant Christianity in America, where um, Oof, yeah, yeah, it uh, is very. Anti- I, I think virulent is probably the best word. Very anti-intellectual as well, in my opinion. You know, it's uh, what do you know? You're just a mere, mere human. Well, it's the same as you. It's very insulting. You weren't there, but I have the word of someone who was. Oh, dear me. See, even Ken Ham says that, honestly. I need to start watching Answers from Genesis with 
apology or anything like that. I just face palmed him when he died. Ah, indeed. It really indeed. is insulting, though, because you have all these archaeologists, you have all these scientists who have devoted, in many cases, their entire careers to, to finding the truth. Yep. And you get some wee guy comes along, reads a page on Answers in Genesis, and claims to know more than you do. You know, and they don't have a clue. You know, you, you know within seconds of uh, asking them if, if they know what they're talking about or not, and they don't. Right? I find it quite insulting to, to like scientists as well. How many scientists, thousands that have devoted their careers to, to, to furthering their knowledge, and they're just waved aside by some guy who's not right. qualified high school or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's a shame, and you, you, you uh, just 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 before we recorded, we did we did mention Kent Hovind. Uh, we briefly yes. discussed him, and um, <laughs> he's he's uh, notorious for, for being notorious. I think is the, is the best way of putting it. That's good way of putting it. Yeah, uh, I'm not a big fan of Kent. No, uh, I mean he's one of. The, I mean, right from the very first thing he says, most of the time is a lie. I was a high school science teacher for 15 years. No, Kent, you weren't a high school for science teacher for 15 years. You're not a qualified teacher. You know, I think and, and, and I, th- and I think that the school he was at was actually uh, part of his church as well. So it was like, well, you know, yeah, he, was, he, he, he like inserted himself into the <laughs> – he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a science teacher on his own merits. He was a science teacher no. because he, he picked that job for himself. Yeah, uh, that, that's, uh, I had a handful of kids and some – Somebody said that teaching a handful of kids in their church basement isn't being a high school teacher. Really. No, no. You know, I, mean, I don't know any country where you can be a teacher without having a degree in a relevant subject. Maybe there is, but I haven't heard of it. And Kent doesn't have a degree in this fake doctorate that cost him a couple of grand. Oh, have you read it? <laughs> I, 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 actually, I actually have. And like his very oh. first sentence was, hello, my name is Kent Hovind. <laughs> And I thought if oh, that dear. if that's how he got a doctorate with something that says hello, my name is Kent Hovind. So oh my lord. But for that's... my uh, master's degree, you've got to put in a a proposal, you know, you've got to say mm. why why you want to do it and why you're the person to do the, the yep. research. And I can imagine if I said hello. My hello, name my is name JJ. is JJ, yes. <laughs> it would be like um, and, and and I hate evolution. Ah, uh, and something the structure. He was a fat man. He didn't like God. You know, oh, he, yeah. he had lots of children. Like short sentences, like dear me. I know. Um, well, anyway, look, I think that says both as much about him as it does the 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 organisation that granted him. Yeah, the that, Patriot that University. Okay. But I was I was going to ask that your field of specialty in terms of biblical archaeology covers from where to where. Right, I. Uh, uh, Cover from the entry into Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, Jacob's family, the seventy that went into Egypt, mm-hmm. up to the the end of the United Monarchy. It's quite a, a long, long, time. oh, definitely, a long definitely. period That's... of time. Uh, I didn't bother going back as far as like you know the the Eden myth. I mean, these are clearly mythology: Eden and the flood and Babel, and mm-hmm. you know these are clearly mythology. So not there's no history really in. In Genesis, regardless of what Ken Ham would say, it's uh, it's been described as Genesis as mythology and yep. Exodus as where legends start to to appear. So I thought, well, Exodus, it's at least uh, examinable. You know, you can at least have a look at the places mm-hmm. where most of the places are, mm-hmm. and you can at least examine. I mean, how can you examine a, a post-flood garden and all this? 
it's just nonsense. But so I'll start more or less at the enslavement mm-hmm. and, and then up to the end of the night when Solomon's yes. death. So, so JJ, uh, did the Jews build the pyramids? No. <gasps> really? Yeah, and then the Bible never claims that they did either. It's another oh, but that, but I, I, I'm told by Ken and Kent and all the uh, yeah. <laughs> all the other people that the Jews built the, the the Jew slaves built the pyramids. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that as well. And uh, you know, it, it actually says in Exodus one eleven that the store cities or the treasure cities that they built, two in particular, or the Per Atom and Per Ramesses or P Ramesses or Pi Ramesses, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Python. So, uh, or per atom. Uh, so that's, uh, I mean, it's explicit. That's that's where, well, that's what they were accused of doing or <laughs> claimed to have done. But the pyramids aren't mentioned at all. So, no. And, and so, 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 what, what can you like without being an historian? What can you tell me about Jacob's family coming to uh, Joseph's family coming to Egypt? Well, uh, it's not impossible. Let us say that it's not impossible. It's not. It wasn't unknown. Uh, for the Egyptians to allow uh, foreign nomads or foreign groups into the eastern delta during times of famine. There's a papyrus called uh, Papyrus Anastasi number six. Uh, it, it, it actually mentions we have allowed the tribes of Edom into uh, the pools of Merneptah, which is the very area that Jacob was supposed to have moved into. Okay, right. So it's at least possible. The problem with that is that inscript, that papyrus comes from a much later time. You know, it comes from probably the 13th, 14th century. So you have to assume that that, that that was always the case. So without something to say it wasn't the case, you know, you can maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. There's some textual evidence from Newsy uh, that some of the customs mentioned and the patriarchal narratives could be uh, that could be from about the 18th century. You know, all the all the times I talk about are going to be BCE times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like customs and legal narratives that have reflect have reflected in some other cultures. The situation over Hagar and uh, that's perfectly possible. But it is I would give them a benefit of doubt and say yes that. Jacob's clan settlement in Egypt is not impossible. So, okay, but uh, so as nomads, but not definitely a whole. Uh, but Pharaoh didn't definitely definitely enslave uh, the Jews for four hundred years, and uh, no, that's, I mean that's patently false. It's uh, my sort of uh, killer question for uh, Christians. It's usually Christians to be fair. I mean, Jews are quite. They're usually quite amicable, you know. They don't, yeah. They're not quite as forceful. Usually, and it's the evangelical type of Christian, a creationist type. Mm-hmm. Uh, my killer question for them right away is: show me any evidence or any direct evidence, to be more accurate, of Israelites in Egypt at that time before we can continue the conversation. Because if you can't show me they were there, you can't show me they came out of there. And I can state categorically there is not a single shred of evidence that there was any Israelites ever in Egypt at that time. Interesting. And that, that doesn't matter when you propose the date. It could be 20th century BC or 14th century. It doesn't matter. There's nothing. No mention of Israel. There's mention of Asiatics. You know, they, they, 
they are sometimes. Well, it could be Israelites. Yeah, it could be, but you have to show me they actually are or where. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's my sort of. Defeated so, question, if you like. Okay, so so you, you have to not fall for the trap of uh, possible, therefore probable. Yeah, you have to be very careful how you word things. I found that out early days on discussion boards. Be very careful how you word things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just say this proves there was no Israelites because it doesn't. It just means you don't. I mean, no, what if no. something was found next week? How could it have been proven there was none there if there actually was? So you have to be very careful. And that's why I word it direct evidence, not just hearsay, you know, have you got direct evidence or not? Okay, yep. I haven't, nobody has just a fact uh, so that would be defeater number one but I mean that's kind of uh, on the no, scale of defeaters that's probably very lowest. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll keep that in the back of my mind. Um, yeah. the, the the crossing of the Red Sea um, yes. where, where would that have come from in your in your experience? Hey there, sorry to interrupt did you know you can now support the podcast on Patreon? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash TFADpod, where your monthly donations will help support what I do in producing enjoyable and thought-provoking material. Thank you. Well, there are some, there's a, the name of a papyrus escapes me at the moment, but there is talk in the papyrus about a sea of reeds or marshlands. Ah, yes, the reed sea. Yes, I, I remember reading uh, about that. Uh, uh, that. That is the current uh, translation, sea of reeds. Instead of the Red Sea, it's uh, the sea of reeds. It's been, I mean, it's been like that since I think 1960s. It was, it was translated as sea of reeds. Yep. But I mean, there's, there's all sorts of problems with that because the, the Bible text itself is contradictory. <laughs> it's... Uh, there's 42 sites mentioned on the Exodus route, and we only know for probably for certain where two or two of them are. Really? And I mean, yeah, only two. I mean, Finkelstein, he he would argue for Kadesh Barnea and the Easy on Geber. He would say that would be the only two, uh, with any confidence, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the text of mentions that the text is an amalgamation, as you know. It's at least four different authors. Uh, oh Exodus. yes. It's- the, 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 the documentary hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. And yes. there's strong evidence. Eh? Von Rad thinks it should be, I think, six or seven. Ah, uh, yeah, there's yeah. A, so, uh, poss- a possibly. Source and that. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got composite accounts. I mean, one, one passage says that, the, that uh, the Egyptians had their gold and merchandise taken from them by the Israelites before they left. Ah, yes. And virtually the next verse says that they had to leave desperately fast <laughs> and they didn't even have time to, to easten the bread and this kind of thing. So They, they, they uh, had to leave in a hurry, but they, they, they took the gold and... Uh, <laughs> time for the gold, but not the bread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the, the, so the, other, the other thing is is that... Um, so if we if we read the biblical accounts, literally, um, I think they said about 600,000 men... Um, and then yes, if you extrapolate that, if you extrapolate that to men, uh, so so to women and children, and then you know that they left with their cattle, they left with their possessions, they left with, you know, it wasn't just like you know, let's say a million a million plus people leaving in a hurry. It was a million plus people, um, you know, with stuff, with animals, with possessions, with cooking utensils, um, with, with all the materials to build a temple. Yes, and uh, a mixed multitude went with them as well, of course. Mm. It wasn't just Israelites, it was others. And uh, the numbers passage that gives the 600,000 
it's men of fighting age, so you've got to add children in as well. You know, so you're talking about over two million. You know, some say two and a half to three million, but if you be very conservative yeah. and say two million, that's a crazy number. And uh, Mend- George Mendenhall studied uh, Egyptian text of the supplies to fortresses in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he said if there were two million or three million Israelites in Egypt, they wouldn't have anything at all to fear from the Egyptian army because probably <laughs> at most it was 50,000 for the whole empire. You know, uh, there just wasn't that many people. One of the Elamarla tablets talks about a king asking the pharaoh to send 50 soldiers to quell an uprising. <laughs> so we're talking about small numbers here. Yeah, I know. That's uh, that's, um... that's a... The, the, the growth rate is impossible as well, you know. Uh, I mean, you can't get three million or two million or even a million from 70 people in just three generations. No, no. Uh, the it's other just, thing I was going to ask, was it possible that there was a an Israelite or a, a Middle Eastern person in the Pharaoh's court? Yes, the, that, that, that is possible, yeah. There are there are parallels to that where non-Egyptians have have risen to sort of official positions in okay. the, the, the Pharaoh's court. I mean... It, there's many problems with the Joseph Joseph account. Is I think uh, Doctor Josh has a. I don't know if you read his uh, book, the Atheist Guide, Atheist Handbook. Yeah, I've I've, I've seen uh, a couple of videos about it, and so uh, it's something I'll have to add to my reading list. Yeah, he points out a few problems with the, the Joseph story. I mean, uh, if you get time, read the Egyptian story, the Tale of Two Brothers, and the Tale of Two Brothers is very similar to the, the Joseph story. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the people mentioned in the Joseph story, like Potiphar, Potiphera, yep. these names belong to a period much later in that time. And they belong, we don't start appearing until probably the 11th century, you know, so it's oh, about okay. arguably seven or eight hundred years after. But that that can only mean that's names that were given. I mean, that may have been retrospectively. Or, 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 or functional, because one of the things I noticed about the Bible is that a lot of the names are functional. Yes, uh, uh, and to uh, me, and to me, that's a very big indication that it was uh, uh, either retrospectively written or written as myth out of whole cloth. Yeah, that's, the names are a good clue. Uh, you know, that Israel is a good clue. Struggle with God, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mo- Moses drawn from water. Yeah, yeah, and well, Moses' name is a, is a disaster. I mean, Moses can't be a Hebrew name. It just can't. It just doesn't work. You know. Uh, Actually, referring to the person doing the drawing out. Oh, okay. So uh, even even worse. Okay, all right. Ah, just, so, there's no way to, to stretch it to fit a personal name. And so, so we get to the Exodus. We we get to so they've crossed the river. Um, have we? How thoroughly have we explored the the desert region between Egypt and Israel? Well. Uh, See Nelson Gluick, he uh, excavated a huge part and didn't find a thing. Uh, the, the big clue for that one is uh, Kadesh Barnea. Uh, Kadesh Barnea, uh, that's where Moses sent out the spies into mm-hmm. Canaan. Joshua was amongst the spies and they went into Canaan and they came back with the reports, you know, f- no, it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> if they may, uh, there's giants living in there. Like, uh, and this is, uh, you know, this is when God uh, got, got angry and, and killed people and said, you know, for, uh, for 40 years wandering for you guys. And uh, yeah. Ah, I uh, took a wee huff again. Yeah. So uh, Kadesh Barnea 
Now, a reading of numbers uh, 13 has the extra scruple arriving at Kadesh. And when you read up to numbers 20, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's been no mention of them leaving and coming back. Uh, so we have a group at Kadesh Barrier, two and a half, three million people for the sake of argument. Yeah. And Moshe Dothan, he found Kadesh Barrier in the 1960s, 1965, 66. And uh, the guy that excavated that to virgin soil was uh, Rudolf Cohen. And Cohen, I mean, when you're down to virgin soil, there's no further to go. And he discovered absolutely nothing. Not, not even a sandal or a piece of pottery. Uh, nothing before the 10th century. In the 10th century, uh, there was a small fortress. Okay. And there was uh, two subsequent fortresses beneath that. He called them Israelite fort- fortresses, but that hasn't been established. I mean, so you have, that, that would be the one sort of, Another defeater, if you like. No, where did they stay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kadesh Bar. How can thir- how can three million people live in a an area for almost forty years and not leave any carcasses? I mean, they were told they were all to die. That generation was to die. Where's the bodies? Yeah. You know, here's the carcasses of. The, there, there should be bodies. There should be. Or should be bodies of people. There should be um, tents. There should be cattle. Yep. Um, yeah. There mm-hmm. should be like cooking utensils. There should be children, you know, children as well. There should be. Um, I think there's one, once or twice where God opened the earth as well. Uh, there um, should be so, so many. But it's just for that. Oh, you know, interpret the Bible again. Just because it says it didn't leave Kadesh doesn't mm. mean that it, you know if it's, uh, thing that they could have left and came back again. Kadesh Barnia might not be where you're saying it is, that kind of thing. But, but until you uh, until just, until you prove it, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make a better case than what you've made now. <laughs> well, this is a absence of evidence argument, you know. But uh, yeah, sometimes yeah. sometimes the, the, the expected evidence is just so overwhelming. That you're justified in saying they weren't there, you know, it's back mm-hmm. to this yep. inference justification. So no uh, so so JJ, what can you tell me about the the two kingdoms and the unification? Uh, where does David fit in? Where does Saul fit in? Um, what can we tell about that actual time period that would give rise to the uh, I'm going to say legend of of David and Solomon, but uh, maybe you can fill me in on that. Well, the, I would say the majority of scholars would accept that these people. Existed in some fashion, you know, Saul, David, mm-hmm. uh, Solomon existed in some, but certainly not in the, the capacity described in the Bible. You know, it's, uh, I mean, for start, the kingdom, the United Kingdom was United Monarchy, sorry, but <laughs> was yeah. uh, said to cover almost all of Palestine, you know. <laughs> uh, but David even thinks, you know, it, it, it refers to. A, a tribal leader rather than some sort of, you know, uh, emperor type. But I mean, the Bible claims that David became a general, you know, in Saul's army. And, yep, and he had and a he had a he had a, a palace, and then his son came along and built this like massive palace in this massive temple, and yeah. uh-huh. you know, it was great and it was glorious, and all, all the all the monarchs from all, all around the uh, the surrounding nations, uh, particularly the Queen of Sheba. Uh, came yeah. along and thought, holy, "Holy crap, this is uh, this is pretty good." Uh, well, 
again, it's difficult to be certain, you know, but the evidence doesn't look good. Uh, but I would say most most historians would agree that you know, as we get to like Samuel and Kings, we start to find some history. You know, before that, you know, it's external sources to support the Bible are, are quite weak. I mean, you're only talking about the Manetasili that's uh, that mentions Israel. Other than that, you've got to wait until the Moabite stone, which maybe three fifty years later, something like three hundred fifty years later, but. Uh, at least parts of the Samuel and Kings are based on real events. Okay, and, and what real events would they be? Like, ha, ha, like what what were they? What can we know about them? I don't know much for certain. The evidence, the evidence is uh, it's interpre- interpreted to fit again, and it's plausible evidence. Now, there's some evidence. I mean, we're talking about the end of the 10th century here. Uh, there's some evidence of a centralized social political structure taking place where mm-hmm. the small villages were being emptied and cities were growing and new cities were also being built. So that, that's signs of uh, unification and politicisation. Uh, a strong argument for that uh, is uh, Iron Age 1 villages in the Highland regions, they, they gradually abandoned, you know, and uh, fortifications appeared. Uh, so the archaeologists are thinking it's developing. That's the start of it. No, but it should have been more advanced if the Bible was correct. And in the southern kingdom, there's, there's, it doesn't reflect the same changes as the northern kingdom. But uh, there is evidence of uh, increased international trade at that time. Okay. Uh, Canaan began to, to trade with other countries. Uh, goods passed through. Uh, Kenneth Kitchen writes a book on that. Copper was transported through Canaan. Spices, uh, gold and ivory, ebony, things like that. They all started to make their way through Canaan and on to, to Egypt. So uh, there's signs of an international trade network starting to appear then, but it wasn't anywhere near the scale that the Bible would claim, and it wouldn't be at the time either. Uh, you know, Finkelstein has kind of moved that to maybe the ninth century. And for, for Judah, it would probably be a little bit later than that. Okay. So there's, there's nothing, I mean, apart from the Tell Dan Steely, which is debate, highly debatable, the direct evidence of David, Saul, or Solomon is zero. There's nothing. There, there's no sign of the temple, you know. There are no inscriptions and no external text mentioned any of them. So... You're basically relying on archaeology, which okay. is suggesting if there was a united monarchy, it would uh, it wouldn't be a united monarchy, but the situation would only arise probably after the death of uh, Solomon. Okay, Solomon is taken as being maybe a a, a well-known tribal leader, you know, with maybe a bigger than usual kingdom, but nowhere near. He's said to have 700 wives. Yeah, this is this is what I was going to I was about to ask. You know, he's the for a guy who's had like 700 wives and has all these international visitors. Yeah, um, uh, there's nothing in any external text at all. To, I mean, the United Monarchy is covered most. It's said to cover most of Palestine, but yep. I mean, the the, the pro Bible lot to say that's down to hyperbole again. I just exaggerate a wee bit. But my argument to that is. 
So the Bible's got it wrong then. <laughs> you know, if it's exaggerating, it's not telling the truth. You know, it's, it's the same with the Exodus. I mean, the, the claims are that the Exodus group was a much smaller group. You know, so the Bible wasn't, wasn't actually wrong. It's just a much, much smaller group than the Bible said. But somehow the smaller group still makes the Bible correct. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the only thing we have really from that time would be the Tell Dan Steely. Okay. The Tell Dan, you know, the, the House of David. Description uh, which has massive, it's not as straightforward as the pro Bible law would have you believe, you know. So, so at most, they are basically local tribes who got, um, yeah. uh, who, who wrote their own story to make themselves look a lot bigger and better than what they were. Yeah, most nations have a, what's called a foundation myth, and Herschel Shanks he says the Exodus. Is Israel's foundation myth. You know, it's it's to give your, you know, it gives you a right to the land for a start. You know, mm-hmm. God sees this as your land, and we've seen a lot of repercussions of that. You know, uh, why did Israel yep. get? You know, why why is Israel back and Palestine and the Navajo aren't back where they should be? You know, it's a double standard here. But I mean, it's all down to, to Christianity. No, not all, but mostly Christianity. Yeah, look, look, I, I, I find the claim that um, Israel has a right to the land based on one patriarch burying his wife. Yeah. Uh-huh. In yeah, like in one <laughs> in one particular spot. Therefore, we're allowed to come back and take take, take the whole thing. Yeah, I had to just take it all. And I mean, it's a promised land. God promised Abraham and his, his descendants. You know, would, would live in this land. And uh, they're still not in the land promised to them, of course. I mean, they're not in the, the whole area that God had promised. You know, it's supposed to be, uh, I mean, they won't, the Temple Mount, for example, we have good luck trying to get that back. You know, Actually, I was, I was, I was going to ask about the Temple Mount. Like, what, what do we know about Solomon's Temple? Nothing. <laughs> really? Yes, short, short answer. Apart from what's in the Bible, absolutely nothing. Uh, and even what's mentioned in the Bible seems a bit fantastical. We're talking about is there a hundred thousand people to build it and it's yep, yep. Few, it's like nine meters long or something like that. Uh, yep. But there's not been a stone. There hasn't been a stone off the temple found anywhere. Uh, again, people are saying you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, well when we do find when we do look in the right spot then then we'll know. But my understanding was that the, the later the Bible goes on the better the better the historiography gets. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean after the period that I you stop at the United Monarchy, but you're going on to times like uh, King Misha, the Moabite Stone. These mm-hmm. kings are being they're beginning to be identified in Assyrian and Babylonian texts that we have. But the, I mean, the, the dating of Solomon's reign is taken from uh, the, the chronology in the Bible back to King Misha, who who's uh, on the Moabite stone, and that's dated astronomically to, uh, I can't mean exactly, I think it's 836, something like that. So count okay. backwards, we'll get Solomon's reign. Solomon built the, type, the temple in 966, so that's, that's how that is. That date's arrived at, and then you add 480 years of First Kings 6-1. Uh, yep, you add yep. 480 years, you get 1446 as a date mm-hmm. for the Exodus, which is... I mean, that's buying in the middle of the Moses III's reign, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, you just, it just wouldn't happen. I mean, the, the whole region was, was basically Egyptian. Canaan was basically a part of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So you had 
Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, yep. wandering around Egypt for 40 years, and then Joshua battling his way into another part of Egypt. And not a single biblical author has a clue that Egypt is there. I don't show any signs of that. So that's uh, after the United Monarchy. Things do get better after that. You know, Tiglath Pileser's mentioned, you've got uh, Shishak, a pharaoh, that's the first pharaoh that can be identified. Uh, his campaign is, uh, in, you know, there's monuments in Egypt to Shishak's, Shishak, he's got various names, his campaign in Palestine that coincides. But it's, it's fragmentary. I mean, it's not until the seventh or sixth century that it starts getting really good. But there's uh, elements there, but I haven't gone into that in any great detail. I mean, no. the, the, the bit I, the, the area I studied is huge. I mean, it's, we've only just touched on some of the the thing would be next is I could sit here for hours and tell you the problems of next <laughs> yeah. you know, and why there's problems and you know, and what yeah. the, the solutions offered, you know, like the, the six hundred thousand could be just six thousand, yeah. you know, these kind of things like that. But it doesn't work, it doesn't matter how you interpret it, there's it clashes with other texts. You know. But the other, the other thing I wanted the thing I wanted to ask you about, um, the historiography of judges. So the, so the period after the Exodus, but before uh, Saul and David come along, where, you know, basically uh, the the region of Israel is a lawless land, um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And I, I refer to Judges as the Book of Violent Deaths because in, in Judges you have, you know, plenty of people get killed in plenty of horrible ways and um, uh, uh-huh. you, you then have Samson uh, who comes in and, you know, literally wrecks things. Um, yeah, it brings a house down, where, yeah. Where would Samson have come from? Well, Samson, uh, again, that whole time is, 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 has no evidence for that. You know, there's no external evidence for all that. There, there are similar stories uh, later on to comparisons with uh, Samson, you know, <laughs> some of his uh, trials. Okay, so such such as like what, where would um the idea of Samson have come from for the uh, for the Jews to make him up, so to speak? Uh, it's a kind of hero. Uh, the way I argue that it's the the hero figure, you know, which all the judges were supposed to be, and mm-hmm. uh, it may have been based. Well, we don't know. It may have been based on someone who was an extraordinarily strong person, you know. But, but not nine foot tall, right? But yeah, yeah, not, not a giant, not, <laughs> certainly not going to bring. But uh, it's arguable that it could be based on a a legend, but what that legend is, nobody's got a clue. It's not, okay. not personally, you can see Samson's based on him. You know, it's more based on the kind of warrior thing. There's another character in the, the Bible who, I can't remember his name, who kills 600 Philistines with an ox code. You know, so it seems to be quite a common <laughs> occurrence, like uh, killing hundreds of people with a stick. And, 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 and it's uh, interesting It's interesting how they give, like, an exact number as well. Like, like did yeah, someone uh, did someone go yeah. and, like, count all the, okay, one person, one skull, two uh, skull, three skull, four always skull. Always a number as well, you know. It's yeah. always, always. And, uh, you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the genealogies and, Genesis 5 and 11, every single number can be divided by five. 
uh, mm -hmm. or five plus seven. So you, you get the, the date that uh, the they have their first born child. Uh, and the, the date that their first child was born, the, the, min, the years they have left to live and the, the years that they die, they all, they're all divisible by five. Yes, a seven here and there, and if you add the totals up, they're divisible by five as well. So they're all. They're, it's obviously not historical. And there's schematics going on there. Okay. But as for Samson, I mean, it could be based on something a folk hero. Uh, who that folk hero would be, nobody knows. There is uh, the temple that he that he brought down the, the Dagon Temple. That's been found, you know. But further, you know, I mean, I think I posted a an image on on Twitter one day of. Uh, of the god Dagon in the temple. Mm -hmm. but, uh, that temp so they did worship Dagon. Uh, so that's plausible, you know, but again, that was a much later time than, than Samson is said to have done. But Samson, the, the, I mean, the whole period of Judges seems to be kind of mythological. If you, I mean, logically looking at it, the Israelites did bad in the eyes of the Lord. You know, they get defeated, raise up a judge, they do bad again, get defeated, yep. a judge. I mean, that goes on. And I mean, do nations actually behave like that? I mean, there's certainly no evidence that, uh, that, that this was happening. And some of the, I mean, a lot of the stories are fantastical. Now, listen to your podcast. With the, Thank you. The Samson and the Foxes and things like this. You know? uh, so yes, yeah. That's, mythology. Uh... Oh, indeed, indeed. This is this is uh, the the thing to me that like a lot of the Bible does read as uh, well, especially especially Genesis and like the, the the first five books. You know, it clearly reads as um, at best uh, at best borrowed mythology, um, yeah. or uh, or uh, what was the word to use? Uh, etiological myth. Ah, uh, etiological uh, uh, explanations for. Existing phenomena, existing landmarks, things like that. How do you explain that? I mean, even these, these uh, the Eden myth has etiologies in it. You know, why mm -hmm. is there why is there pain during childbirth? You know, why yes. is uh, well at that time why are why are women subservient to men? You know, why, why, why there are weeds and uh, why yeah. why the why the earth hates us and <laughs> all, uh, all that kind of so stuff. These are all these are all explanations for that. But as far as Samson goes, there's not even a folk hero you could say it, it was based on. Samson does influence, well, there's a chance, sorry, uh, okay. what's his name? Hercules, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Hercules yes. seems to have influenced uh, sort of later traditions because I think it's, uh, that's as late as the second century that it seems to be having an influence. And that, that seems to mention Jonah. You know, or you know, they, they both set out from Joppa. You know, uh, there's a sea mm -hmm. monster at Joppa. Yeah, Achilles fought a sea monster at Joppa. You know, these kind of things. So, and, uh, so, but Samson, I think, remains in the realms of mythology. At the very best, what we were talking about at the start. You know, your uh, the the rumours that go about a town about a certain guy. You know, he's some this guy's some boxer. You know. And, Suddenly beats up one guy. Next thing, it's twenty guys he had been beaten up. So, but it could be a, an extraordinary fighter, you know, and it's just been exaggerated and exaggerated. And uh, because and, I you know, I have read uh, certain explanations from uh, fundamentalists about how how it was possible that um, 
uh, uh, Goliath was, you know, nine feet tall, and he had yeah. vision. He had visions with his sight because his extra large head put pressure on his <laughs> on, on his ocular features, and so he needed an armor bearer to to help look after yeah. him. And oh, yeah, no. What kind of what state does your mind get into where that sounds plausible? But then the Bible can't even get that story straight, you know. I mean, there are. Uh, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but there's a contradictory verse. Yes, there is. Else. Yes, because um, one of the uh, killed Goliath. Yes, no, as I say, yeah, that was uh, one of the other lesser figures who got credited with the kill. But no, 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 that, that oh. that's apparently Goliath's brother, who is yeah. also oh. Goliath. <laughs> no, you can uh, if you look at different versions, some of them don't have the brother of Goliath in it. Some of them remain faithful to the text. The Hebrew text doesn't have the brother of in it. No, no, Can't this you? is a. This is one of the things. So, did you have to actually study the Hebrew text to understand what what you do? I had to get a Hebrew qualification to uh, continue with the really the MTH. Yeah, but it was a very, very basic one. I mean, it was uh, my advisor actually said, "You've got to pass this. So you just pass it. After that, you can use all the concordances you want." Also, <laughs> basically, that's what I did. If I had a feeling, I mean, a feeling, the Bible is a limited amount of vocabulary, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all about computers and planes and things, and it's a very limited, so you can get to recognise some of, some of the, the, the words, but the problem is, uh, is the early text, there's, there's no uh, vowel uh, indicators, you know, there's nothing to indicate a vowel. Yeah, yeah. So that, uh, this is something be, that, uh, but you're allowed to use you're allowed to use concordances and whatever, just a bit more or less bad on. But uh, you, there are, there's always these round things, you know. No, fair because I'm uh someone on Twitter, um what's his name? Uh, Elisha Ben Abuya. Um, oh, he's brilliant, yeah. He, he is, and yeah, I've 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 communicated with him and like I've asked him certain questions and he's led me to certain websites and it's like, oh yeah, this is this is how they put it all together. It's like oh, wow, this is this is so much better than reading the, the you know the King James version of the account. You know, I, yeah. I wanna I wanna read the I wanna read the actual Hebrew original of the yeah. account. Uh, there's no different versions of that. <laughs> there's a, there is that you've got the one version and that's it. There's nothing you know, like I don't have the dozens of versions that Mm. Bible Gateway has available or something. Like oh, that. yeah, that's it's it is brilliant. But one thing before I let you go, so I'll keep you for another fifteen minutes or so. Um, yeah, your fine. your walk away from faith, because uh, your Twitter bio does say you know archaeologist and theologian, and I would yes. like to, I would like to get into the theologian part as well because um, uh, it sounds like you had to do some sort of theology degree to get your get qualif- to get qualifications. Yeah, I was a divinity. I was named, the church I was a member of in the Church of Scotland, or Presbyterian, mm-hmm. you know, do as anything like you know. The, the services were like, oh dear me! But at, at that time, that's what was acceptable. So I was thinking about going into the ministry, but to, to do that, you need a divinity degree. You can't. It's not like you no, know, in America, for example, you can just call yourself a pastor, and that's you. You're a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in, in the UK, you can call yourself a minister, but you're not affiliated with any churches. But to be an official uh, minister for Church of Scotland, you need at least a divinity degree for that. Uh, so I was involved in outreach programmes, youth programmes, things like that. And, uh, and the intention was to uh, at least have the possibility of going into the ministry. So I went and uh, did the divinity degree, which was quite a lot of units. You know, you had ethics in there, 
uh, early church history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, well, I had a John Knox unit as well. John Knox is a big influence on on, on Scotland's uh, development of the church. And uh, I wasn't, sorry, three quarters, I mean, so the, the honours degree is four years, it's towards the end of the third year, and I started to have my doubts about that, you know. Uh, but okay. I could always use the theology to to reason my way out of the doubts, you know, and I mean, for, for a church in Scotland, everything was the Holy Spirit. And I was praying and praying, and I was actually hearing, you know, but it's my voice in my head, it's not like some disembodied voice, you know, but, and you feel the spirit, you know, I, I'd argue with anybody, and I, I think uh, Matt Dillon, he said the same, he was convinced that he felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yep. And, so, and same, here, same, the, same here, I'll, I'll argue uh, that I, I, I felt like I was baptised in the spirit as well. Yeah, uh, our church, church of Scotland was dreadful when I think back, I mean, it was terrifying, kids were terrified, I mean, uh, you know, you, you had to say your prayers every night, you know, uh, and you must pray for, uh, you know, your mother and your father, things like this. And don't ask for anything for yourself. All that. And, and that thing, the schools, it was all mandatory prayer as well in the, in the, in the mainstream schools. Everybody said they were morning prayers in every school. And it's just taken for granted everybody was, was Christian there. So I was having my doubts, but the theology kept me on board. And I was looking at Paul, uh, I remember a particular essay on Romans 13, which is quite pertinent to the, the Trump debate, you know, God, if someone's in power, it's because God wants them in power. Ah, uh, yep, yep. You know, that kind of thing. So all this, all the theology side of it, uh, the sacrifice, I mean, I didn't look at the sacrifice at that time as being, as being not a sacrifice. I mean, I looked at it as being, oh, and imagine, no, imagine giving your son up. How much love must you have for somebody that you would sacrifice your own son? <laughs> and it was, but then looking from the outside, then you think, I mean, that's horrific, actually. When I look at it, indeed, this, this is the thing. Like once, once you believe the book is divine and inerrant, um, you yeah. know, you, you change your mind in line with the book rather yeah. than you know look at it objectively. Um, and this is this is an argument I got into uh, Twitter on the other day with a um, a particular uh, apologist who, who who's a PhD astrophysicist. Um, who who made who made the statement that you know whenever she reads her Bible you know it strengthens her faith, and uh, yeah. I I kind of put that well you know if you read it neutrally and without prejudice you'll probably go the other way, and the, we got into a bit of a bit of a spat and uh, it oh, didn't yeah. end well but um but yeah this is the thing like when you when you've bought in when your identity yeah. is wedded to the book. Um, that you, you won't entertain any criticism, uh, particularly when you are like a Kent or an Eric or, or a Ken Ham or a Ray Comfort or, a, you know, or, or whoever, you know, you, you won't entertain because the, the word of God is your final authority. You know, what the books, what the book says goes. So, so what the book says in English goes, not what the book says in Hebrew. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And what the particular version of that book says goes mm-hmm. as well. And uh, there's a certain mindset, you know, and I was never the sort of, uh, you know, the extremist type young earth who didn't really, that didn't really apply oh, okay. at that time, you know, but it was a kind of literal reading, you know, like the Protestant church, it was like, uh, you know, if the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guided the authors of the Bible and the Holy Spirit is always correct, 
So what's in the text is correct. It's yeah, just yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> all, all, all scripture is useful and um, uh, yeah, useful for reproving. All, all, sorry, all scripture yeah. is God breathed and is uh, you know divinely inspired and. Uh, then we got that thing about. Uh, you know, I had a, an argument, well, discussion one day about it, about the Bible is perfect word of God, but only in the original documents. And you're thinking, how oh, you know that? You know, what, what? It's impossible to know that. It might be completely different. It's, a, it's entirely possible. It could be quite different from what we have. It could be identical, but mm-hmm. it could also be, be quite different. So you can't really... <laughs> and, and we know for a fact from the existing texts that there have been changes. I mean, well, well, this is the thing: like getting getting uh, people to admit that, um, yeah. you know, and, and to admit that that's kind of, kind of a problem for inerrancy. Um, and you, you mentioned a name before. I think before we before we started chatting, uh, Mister uh, Doctor Turek, who yeah. has some who has some very colourful defences about you oh, know the. Me. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to raise your blood pressure there with a with a particular uh, name, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, he he has some very colourful uh, and very well. Like I think he's a very good salesman uh, for yeah. the faith. You know, he presents well, he speaks nicely, he's he's well groomed, and you know, he doesn't he doesn't cuss, and he hasn't been caught out in any uh, particular affairs or anything. And yeah, he he seems very convinced of the fact that that more copies means more reliability. That's yeah, that's right. right. He's. Uh... Yeah. Oh, he has some wonderful things. No, no, they wouldn't have died for a lie. No, yeah, yes, yes. No, it's all these arguments from ignorance and incredulity. The, 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 a lady's testimony wasn't admissible in court. Ah, no, yes, they're, yep. They're unreliable ladies. So the lady's testimony in the Bible is reliable. Ah. That's completely opposite. <laughs> That's opposite. <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of uh, like one of the arguments I use against that was hold on, if if uh, if ancient Jewish society was so misogynistic, why was it so misogynistic? Because of the earlier books in the Bible that fostered yeah. fostered the culture of misogyny that is now used to prove that the Bible is true. Well, <laughs> I know it's so. I mean, I, I, I'm. Say that's unbelievable. But when I was a Christian, I, I would accept all that as well, you know. And mm-hmm. I, said, I was never an extremist like that, you know. But I think with the history training, at the same time, you know, you got yep. you got to realise that the Bible is a historical has a historical text. Oh, know, indeed, yes. Strictly, strictly speaking, whether it's fictional history or not, it's still historical. No, and I actually say, like, I, I think that the Bible is definitely a product of its time, and they were, they were trying yeah. to get across certain religio-cultural values. Um, yeah, you can see that in other external texts saying more or less the same thing, you know. Oh, indeed, indeed. Uh, it, was, it wasn't meant to be a science guide. It wasn't meant to be, a oh, no. you know, a history of the world. It was just meant to be, you know, well, you know, we have these uh, particular... It's a little bit like, I don't know how familiar with Australian culture you are, but um, um, oh, probably the... Sorry, I had the I had the example in my head. Um, so Australia's too young to really have any uh, any yeah. archaeological myths. You know, we have we have the thing yeah. where, where Captain Cook came over as a hero, and you know he was he was a brave you know uh, he was a brave uh, servant of the British Empire, um, yeah. and you know he was he was noble and steadfast and dedicated. Yeah, uh-huh. and that, that is how I came to view it, but and it's much more. Uh, Acceptable when you view it like that. Mm. I, mean, I torture myself trying to 
And it was like Adam and Eve, for example, I, mean, I remember sitting on the sofa three, four in the morning, oh, like, and distressed. That's the only way I get. How can I, I get a lumpy earth, you know? And then I justify that by saying, perhaps Adam and Eve were just the first two people to worship me, are we? Oh, the first two. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was asked, but why not saying that? You know, but I still, I still was able. I mean, I, I can't point to a definite time. I said, right, that's it. It's over and done. I'm away. It was a kind of gradual thing. And it oh, okay. came to the point where enough is enough. Like, it's just, I mean, if it was any other book, would you be taking it seriously? No, well, this is, this is, the, this is the thing. Um, like, uh, um, you know, out of all the thousands of gods that uh, we don't worship, we, we feel no threat um, yeah, at yeah. all for not worshiping them, worshiping them, especially uh, the god of the Muslims. You know, the, the god of the Muslims is uh-huh. is just as uh, violent and oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, angry as the god of the, of the Jews, but, you know, we, we don't feel any compunction. We don't feel any fear. We don't feel uh-huh. any remorse for not worshiping the god of, the god of, uh, the god of Islam. So uh-huh. why should we feel the same for Yahweh? Yeah, uh, the stories are equally as silly. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the Pascal's wager... Comes into um, play as well. Yeah, good, good, good Might as well just believe. How can you just decide to believe it? <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I mean, the Bible doesn't even say it works like that. You've got to be convinced that it's true. You can't say, I'm going to be a Christian today. You know, it doesn't work. Or you do have the verse where um, uh, atheists suppress the suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. So, oh, so according yeah. to the presuppositionals, we know God exists, but we're just denying. Yeah. We're just knowing, oh, and there's yeah. a couple of um, there's a couple of presuppositional apologists I uh, get into get into debates with who who call me, who call me a god denier, not an atheist. That's good. I've listened to some, he's, you know, Mister Batman. He's he's, uh, he's he's insane. He's insane. <laughs> I feel sorry for him. He's I don't know if he's went through some trauma in his life. I've listened to him with Jim Majors and. Uh, Jim Majors with Darth Dawkins as well. Ah, yes. Very, very, very frustrating. I mean, Jim didn't have a chance to get a sentence out of any of the two of them. You know, Darth is like that with every single person. So, uh, no, I, I can't say I've, I can't say I've heard of a. I've heard the name, but I can't say I've ever heard of anything. But you mentioned Jim Majors. Uh, he, he's another uh, guy who I find very, uh, very, 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 very open and very easy to to get answers out of. Yeah. Uh, Jim's a good guy. You've recently got his PhD. Oh, so he so he has actually got it. Yes, he got it. Now he's changed it and he's a Twitter handle as well. So that's, oh, actually, um, let me just quickly check then because I may actually. Uh, so I'm just jumping on the. Oh, fine. I oh actually, no. Yes, he is now Dr. Jim the Mustache Man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. I'll, I'll have to. Um, I have to quickly message him and say say congrats. But um, anyway, yeah. um, it's been about an hour and a half. Um, it is currently yeah. eight thirty. I've got kids to put to bed and. All oh, kind of right, okay. Indeed, yes, yes. This is the dad part in the talk friendly atheist dad. Um, oh, so, so JJ, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what, what would you, what would you like to finish up with? I would say uh, to my, my Christian friends out there is to not to look at sites like Answers in Genesis. By all means, equip yourself to to defend your faith, but you won't defend your faith with websites of equality of Answers in Genesis or the Institute for Creation Research, they are only equipping you to make a fool of yourself when you come up against any semi-knowledgeable atheist. I would say if you're interested in the truth, if you can do it, go to college or go to a uni, if you can do it. If you can't, read peer-reviewed journals, peer-reviewed books, and make up 
your own mind about it. Read as many sources as you can, as many scholars as you can, reputable scholars, not Bodie Hodge or something like that, or Tim Chafee. Read reputable scholars and come to your own conclusion. I mean, you don't have to agree with them either, but at least make the effort. And if anyone's interested in a reading list, if they email me at thearchaeologian at gmail, I'm happy to supply a, a reading list for any of the topics that uh, we've discussed uh, today. So, so I'll just repeat that. that. There's archaeologian at gmail.com. And just I'll just confirm the spelling because uh, you spell archaeologian uh, with a, a, a an extra a in the uh, the correct way, yes, yeah, correct, yes. But however, um, for 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 our US friends, they 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 yeah. had they had this habit of dropping certain vowels from their from yeah. their words. If they get, if they'd forget it. It's in my profile on Twitter anyway, so they it, it, link from my. It Twitter is indeed profile. so. So twitter.com forward slash Bible Mythology and the Archaeologian at gmail dot com. JJ, yeah. it has been a pleasure discussing. Uh, yes, it's been history. nice. It's- Time's flown in. It's flown in very quickly. I know. But we, we probably need another another hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, anyway, well, um, if, if you would have me back some other time, and I'm, I'm happy to. That uh, sounds good, JJ. I'm, I may just take you off on that. Um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch, but otherwise, JJ, you have a great day. Thank you very much, uh, and have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.